first off, thanks for taking the time to link with me. I'm I'm excited to hear a little bit more about your guys' journey through China, how this all came about. But before we get started, maybe you guys can introduce one another yourselves and give me a little bit of background on what you guys do and I guess how you guys ended up in China together. Yeah. Uh I mean, so my background is music. I'm a DJ and producer. And my connection to China is not just through music. I mean, I was born in Nanjing and lived there for the first eight years of my life. So there's quite a strong personal connection there. And that's kind of part of the reason why I've been following the music scene out in China for a while and eventually went back last year. Yeah. What about yourself, Lucas? Yeah, so mine's not nearly as um, drawn out or like as intimate as that, which is meaning that uh, I was introduced to the music scene in China through uh, DJs in New York, particularly Allison and uh, another writer friend named Eric, uh, who had been putting me on to what was happening out there and uh, just generally building interest in, in what was going on in, uh, in China. Um, and then there are also publications like ADA Rising, uh, which is based in New York, that are really pushing that narrative in the music scene here. Um, and so my background is in documentary filmmaking, uh, photojournalism, um, as well as narrative film work as well. Um, and so uh, my approach to that whole conversation was based around like, okay, there's this really fascinating thing that's happening in China right now where these two cultures are meeting in a very real way for uh, people in China. What does that look like visually? How does that feel uh, sonically? Uh, and so I just wanted to be a part of that and was lucky enough to be invited by um, Eric and Allison out to Chengdu to experience some of that. Yeah, so how did the whole trip come together? Like, was it a lot of planning or it just sort of was on a whim, like, I'm going to go do this? I think my end, it was planned in the sense that I had hit up a lot of people beforehand and I kind of briefed them on the idea of writing kind of a longer piece on the scene. But, I mean, I met Lucas out there, so it wasn't something that our collaboration wasn't something that was planned but i think that spontaneity is kind of indicative of the pace and of the willingness of the scene in china right now to just like try and experiment with new th new things felt like a very like uh, organic meeting right we were interested in the same thing and knew some of the same people and uh david was doing a like a much a deep dive into what that felt like um, from a writing standpoint. It you know it only made sense to have something that accompanied that uh, visually as well. For both you guys, had you been to Chengdu before? No, this was a uh, this was my first time in Chengdu and first time in Sichuan, like the part of the the region that Chengdu is in. Yeah, what about you, Lucas? Had you been to China before? No, that was my first time in China, other than the Beijing airport. Um, so yeah, that was a, it's an interesting way to like, I'm, people kept telling me that the Chengdu is not exactly representative of what a lot of China feels like. 
So that was interesting, um, just going to, into it and approaching it from that way. Yeah, how would you guys describe kind of setting foot in Chengdu? Like maybe for someone that's never been there, myself included, how would you kind of set the scene? I'll let you take that one first, Lucas, because I mean, you've never been to anywhere in China, so you're probably not clouded by preconceptions. Yeah, I mean, to be to be fair, I feel like my judgments are slightly clouded just by like Western thought in general, which is like my first thought was like, wow, this place is massive. And then everyone was like, it's actually not that big. Um, but really, like, the the pace, I think, of life was what stood out the most. Because despite how large things were and how massive the city felt, it felt like the connections that people had were very intimate and things felt like they moved in a more communal way than um, even going to Chongqing felt like, right? Things felt like uh, they were a little more close-knit there, uh, which I, and again, I might be jaded slightly by the fact or prejudged slightly by the fact that like we were immediately, or at least I was immediately dropped into this music network where everyone was super familiar. Um, but it also felt like the city leaned into that as well, especially because the people, the musicians we were with, our brothers and Bohan are from there. So like they must represent that in some way. Right. Um, so yeah, it just felt like there was a there's a community aspect to it uh, that was very intimate. Yeah, how did you guys line up the whole network and like people to speak with and interact with? Basically, just quite organically through people I'd already been speaking to in some in a musical capacity to start with, and just basically identified who I thought were the most interesting people in the scenes out there and then try to get some time with them basically. How would you guys say the overall sentiment is towards Chinese hip hop from the Western world where, you know, I mean, you guys both live in, you know, the UK and, and, and the US respectively. How would you say that people's perception of Chinese hip hop is versus the reality of being on the ground? As Lucas said, he had maybe some preconceived notions like what are things that you thought it'd be like this, but it was actually more like that. Yeah, I think the main thing is that there's a Western preconception that rap in China has a novelty factor to it or that it's somewhat imitation. But I think when you go out there and you really interact with the artists and the fans like day to day, you realize that they've actually invested a lot of their energy and their identity into this. And they're doing it from like a place of real sincerity. It's not something that they're hopping on for a couple of years because it's hot in the West right now, but they've been doing this for 10, 12 years and that they've had to make a lot of sacrifices in their lives, in especially in the family context in order to be able to do this. And I think that's quite difficult to appreciate when you're just seeing the videos that are going up abroad or you're seeing what's going online. Yeah, 
朝鲜到天府广场，相片妹的少爷些心头发慌，而我们像时尚版吸引的女娃子都来自三环的四面八方，他没逼我们勾引他，没逼我们热心肠，没逼我们逍遥自在，但是肯定不得妨碍到你搞对象。你想得到不想得到不负担，河南边边天天都有你我想不到的剧情。人民南路顶楼不到拐 ，We fly high， 南站到榆林。小弯小的干脆面又煮了新口味，新华书店买盘子弹走街轮也会美。三代人的大爷走也从来不要过滤嘴，四川全新雄起，成都雄起，我闯你妈个鬼！你就顺着这条路来走，走不动走不动，打个车也要走也要走，边走边在吼。好几把车，好几把车，狗走电脑城，缺光碟，爱买不买好商业，要这儿咯那儿咯，胸罩、腰裤、发夹，三副板一律八折。开小轿车路过了人民南路，吼哟吼哟，人民南路，感冒爷爷你先到人民南路，吼哟吼哟，人民南路，听哥们演唱会走人民南路，问你到哪儿到人民南路，夜市口这边是人民南路，吹口哨黄老娘在人民南路。Maybe you can touch a bit more on that family context. Like, what are some of the things that they need to come to terms with if they want to pursue hip hop? Yeah, I think it's just tradition in traditional Chinese culture, doing music or doing something creative is already a big step out of what's expected of you. And then to do something like hip hop or rap, which has no roots in Chinese culture whatsoever, is just a clean break from traditional Chinese values. And in a society that is still dominated by the larger family unit, that is a big kind of、uh, almost not an insult, but a real kind of like a deviation from what you're expected to do in your family unit.、Mm-hmm. What about for you, Lucas? Obviously, living in in New York, you you have kind of a a front. Real sort of take on on hip hop and hip hop culture. How did seeing something in China in Chengdu differ from what might be the norm that a lot of people that are familiar with hip hop might kind of come to expect? I think I mean the the most surprising thing was how、um, how deep the scene was. Like it it was not something that I was expecting to be、uh, as important to a lot of the kids as it felt it was. Um, and which was interesting too, from like a crowd perspective, on like how people reacted to the music and how people、um, gave and in, fed into the culture.、Uh, the you know when we were at the show in in Chengdu for the end of the tour,、uh, it just felt like these kids were learning how to live in China based on the way that Higher Brothers and that scene was presenting itself. And they were taking those lessons in the same way that kids in New York or kids in LA or wherever in the U.S.、Uh, take lessons from music and take lessons from hip hop and、uh, and absorb that into the way that they approach their life,、uh, which was just something that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Like the way that David described it as being something that Westerners perceive as being a novelty factor was really something that I was like, okay, I bet this is big, but I bet it's bigger for. Americans that are looking for Chinese artists, and not necessarily for Chinese citizens in China. It felt like a lot of the music that I was hearing was made for an American audience, like with the, with the goal of performing in the U.S.、Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to see that that really wasn't the case. Like it just happens to be that the music also really appeals to an American audience. 
um, and that a lot of the music was being made for a Chinese audience. So that that was something that kind of broke a preconception that I had around uh, why the music was being made in the first place. I think just though as like a, a counterpoint to that though, we were kind of interacting a lot with people who'd been there from the start and who'd been doing it for a long time organically. There is definitely the specter of commercialization that looms a lot over this scene. The influence of things like K-pop as a business model. And you've had a recent TV show called The Rap of China, which is a mega smash. So that element of commercialization, looking outwards to the West and people looking to jump on a bandwagon is definitely there. And if anything, I think that is something that's getting bigger and it's going to be one of the bigger challenges going forward to the growth of the scene. But our perspective, just because we were linking up with the artists who'd been doing it organically, is perhaps a lot more positive. Let me pick my words carefully here, but in terms of where Chinese hip hop is currently, how far is it away from global legitimacy or is it already there? And I guess maybe that is a very sort of loose term and you guys can define legitimacy on your own terms, but just like the overall sort of relative aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, I would almost flip that question onto its head, which is that for a lot of these artists in China, global legitimacy isn't something that they necessarily need. Just because China is such a large market, is such a large place by itself, that they can afford to basically have their own kingdom. So even though you have guys like Hire Brothers going to do an American tour with AA this, this coming, I think, February, you have other groups like the Gosh Music Group in Chongqing who are very much still focused inwardly on what's going on in China. And they're taking their take on what is rap music and not really craving outside authenticity or approval. Yeah, what's your take on it? from maybe uh, the US perspective, Lucas, being rooted in a place that has a lot of foundational elements of hip hop. It's hard to, it's hard. I don't know if I have quite enough information to judge the, the larger cultural legitimacy of the way hip hop's received in China, just because my insight into it was so narrow. Um, I guess it's more like, I guess a better way of looking at the question is, how do you, th how do Americans see Chinese hip hop currently? And what is the difference? Like, how big is that gap between Chinese hip hop being a household name, or maybe it'll never be a household name just by virtue of language? That's a huge thing. I think it's more of something that you're only gonna really have a conversation about with someone who focuses on music that's outside of like top 40 and just pop charts uh, in the US because international songs just don't go there uh, because, you know. People, most people, the only songs that do in the U.S. Are, are Latin songs because there's 100 million people that speak Spanish. So that changes the way that songs can be received. So it ends up being definitely much more of people that are deep into finding something that's different and finding something that perhaps they are familiar with but feels novel in a way. Um, and I think that that's, that's at least how I've perceived a lot of the music, which is, this is like something I can relate to just off the energy. Um, but you know, I still don't know what higher brothers are saying on half their song. You know what I mean? Like I, other than the English language, like English, English parts or like a couple phrases that someone's told, like, I just still don't know what the song, but I can feel it. 
Um, and I think that's the way a lot of people that are looking for that are approaching. I think though there is a foreseeable path for Western legitimacy or credibility, which is to chart a path more like J-pop or K-pop, where you create your own ecosystem that subsists on its own. And because of all of the intricacies and the nuances of that, you attract people into it because they see something that looks cool that they don't understand and they're drawn to it. And I think that's a much more sustainable way of growing the scene rather than right now or like in the short term, look into how to get accepted in a North American audience or a European audience. Yeah, it's like it's like all politics is local, right? So like the more you build out that local scene that feels real, people are going to see it as real, whether they understand the language or not. Um, and I think that that's like the biggest thing to focus on, not necessarily like, you know, yeah, there's going to be crossover songs, right? Like uh, what's his like uh, Chris Wu just did the song with Travis Scott. Right. Uh, so there's going to be like those type of crossover songs. But uh, I think it's more important that like people feel that the energy is real on the ground. And once that's established, then people will just be attracted to it off the magnetism of it, um, as opposed to like catering to something that you're never quite going to be. Just to kind of switch gears for a second and talk a little bit about the story itself. What did you guys sort of collectively want to achieve with the story versus what has tr traditionally been presented in terms of media regarding Chinese hip hop? Like what sort of gaps were you trying to fill, would you say? The main thing that I wanted to do was to use Chinese hip hop and trap music as a portal into looking at deeper societal and cultural trends and issues going on in Chinese society, what it means basically to be a young person in China right now, why hip hop is so important to a certain group of young people and how that fits in with other things going on economically and socially in China, rather than just presenting it as something along the lines of, hey, there's a hip-hop scene in China. And what about you on the on the visual side, Lucas? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I came over to photograph my friends and the people that they introduced me to. Um, 
And so the, like from there, I developed more of a language around what I wanted to see out of that, which was something that, uh, you know, that, that, that had more of a story. And I think a what I was noticing was kind of what we were getting into before, which is that a lot of the decisions that people were making to do music bucked norms that, that ex expectations that their family had or their friends had around like what they should be doing and what uh, what they're supposed to be doing um, and just how like devastating that was and how much of a challenge it is to make the music because of that. Uh, and so that that became like a really illuminating story into like a bunch of other things that I didn't know any anything about because I don't I don't have Chinese family and all like this was my first experience in China. So I, it ended up showing a lot of things that I didn't necessarily know about, right? Like what like how do people's families feel about them making music in the u.s it's like yeah that might not be the best path but like there's plenty of examples of people making a ton of money doing music so it's not something that's like yeah you, you probably shouldn't do that this might not be a good idea for your future but like if you do it like i'll support you uh whereas it felt like a lot of people i mean bohan in particular uh masaway right that they were they really had to break out of something in order to it was beyond just like that's not a advisable plan it's something that like i don't understand why you would do this at all and so a lot of the the things that i was trying to capture visually is like how do you how does that energy translate into a performance how does that energy translate into an identity uh how does that translate into a clothing choice um what you choose to get tatted on your body. So a lot of those things reveal choices that are tied into that decision-making process. Translation, it was a big part of what we were doing. We were trying to make understandable this culture for an audience that perhaps doesn't understand all the nuances. So, I mean, if you look at the YouTube comments for a lot of these videos, a lot of the analysis, Obviously, YouTube comments kind of like the bottom tier yeah. of analysis, but they they will still be talking about them in terms of how they relate to the West, calling them the higher brothers, the Chinese Migos, or whatever, because of their linguistic flow similarities. But what I really wanted to show was that the scene had a layer of cultural depth that really was very specific to China and isn't actually discernible even for like a lot of diaspora Chinese people, a lot of diaspora East Asians. So I wanted to translate and convey that somewhat to an audience to show that there is a real depth to what these artists are creating. One thing that, that we had sort of spoken about um, off air was why has this whole movement taken place in and around Chengdu and not, you know, for example, in Shanghai or another major metropolitan city. It's a, it's the intersection of history and just the ton of events. So Chengdu has always been somewhat of a spearhead for this iteration of trap. You had one of the original members of CDC, Fat Shady. So he released a song in like 2012 that did the rounds on a Chinese music talent show. So that was kind of the first time a mainstream Chinese audience was exposed to this type of trap music as we knew it. So Chengdu has always been 
kind of like leading historically. And then on the turn of events stuff, I think it was just the fact that these guys in Chengdu and Chongqing hustled hard, had a real DIY mentality. They direct all their own videos. They produce a lot of their own stuff. So they were basically churning out really good quality content at a much higher rate than anyone else out there. So, so I think, to put it simplistically, it's a combination of history and hustle. This next question generally has a lot of dialogue around it. When you look at Chinese hip hop and its its appropriation of hip hop in general, like what is that that relationship or that fine line, or is there a fine line, or at what point does hip hop cease to be something that's rooted in American black culture and it's sort of a global movement that whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Thailand, China, whatever, like. It's more about the essence of hip hop that is the most important thing. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, at what point can we stop looking at this as being that and more of like, hey, this is this is Chinese hip hop, period. Before I went to China, the issue of cultural appropriation was something that was definitely at the forefront of my mind. Like, at the end of the day, you have Chinese dudes wearing dreadlocks, rapping, so, where is that appropriation? Is that appreciation? Are they contributing to the culture or are they taking from the culture? And actually, when you go out there, I think the first thing that I realized was that this was not even within the plane of consideration for most of these artists. Like the idea of cultural appropriation is not something they're particularly cognizant of. And I think that's a function of how homogenous Chinese society is. There are very few ethnic minorities in China and even fewer out in Chengdu and Chongqing. So the idea that they're taking from another race's culture and, you know, are they exploiting, are they profiting from it, is not something that they're thinking about. When I spoke to a lot of these artists and posed that question about cultural appropriation to them, they almost always answer back with, hip-hop is a global culture where Black people can do it, Chinese people can do it. And I don't think they really have that nuance that our perspective of having one foot in the West gives us. Did you have anything to add to that, Lucas? I mean, it's an important question that's being asked a lot in the US right now, too. Um, and I, I mean, there's a degree, there's, there's two things, right? And one is that uh, a lot of the time, cultural exchange gets lost in the idea of appropriation. And I think a lot of the, the issues with appropriation come with balances of power. Uh, and historically in the U.S., uh, Black people don't have the power, they don't get the power from the work that they do. Um, and so there becomes an issue of appropriation because when a white person or a white-facing person who, who could be Latino, like Lil Pump, will get the money, resources, and allocation to, to live their dreams, to live their musical ambitions, then it becomes this kind of like this, this area where it's like, well, you're taking from the culture, you're receiving all the benefits of the culture without having to do necessarily a lot of the hard labor that came with birthing that culture. And so how that translates to China is interesting, right? Um, because there isn't necessarily an imbalance of power there 
meaning that there aren't there wasn't a hip hop culture that was created by a minority of people that are not seeing the profits from it. Um, so the idea there becomes a little a little grayer because there's there's not at a um, you know there's not an imbalance of power. Someone is is profiting from something that they didn't have to put as much labor into creating. That being said, there's still plenty of instances where things like dreadlocks that are being treated, or not even necessarily dreadlocks can be a piece of it, but like when when people imitate something uh, with a sort of goofiness to it that that clearly doesn't show a level of respect. I think that that's also another area where you can see cultural appropriation having um, issues, right? Because then the exchange isn't isn't based around respect. It's based on the idea of, well, this is like something I can like make fun of or imitate in a way that is not really authentic to a, a lived experience. And so that's the, the other aspect, which is that uh, having a rooted connection to something uh, kind of absolves you in a to a degree. There's still plenty of other things where you can end up appropriating something, but it absolves you to a degree of uh, having a real connection to something and and having paying respect. And I think a lot of the time, uh, uh, these thing cultural exchange can be the the negative sides that it can be diminished as long as there's a, a reverence and a respect that feels like it's based in a lived experience. But yeah, I think the part that you mentioned in regards to just how they see it, for both of you guys anyways, I think that's really, I don't think everyone fully understands their perspective on how they're looking at the culture. But I, I, for you guys, do you think that the actual full understanding of the roots of hip hop at this point in time don't, don't really factor into the overall equation? Like knowing where hip hop came from doesn't necessarily influence whether or not Chinese hip hop is is successful, and it'll just kind of take its own narrative and its own route. Because I think the the reason why I ask that question is, you know, I was just in China over over New Year's and kind of seeing the the difficulty in accessing some information and knowing that, you know, it's it's very much like a, a cherry picked selection of of information that you can see. That having access, even if you wanted to learn the ins and outs, maybe it's not even fully accessible. I think actually that informational asymmetry can be a spark for creativity. I mean, just taking a Western example, you have guys like Lil Yachty who might not even know that many Biggie songs or might professedly not even know who Tupac is out here making some of the most, I think, innovative and interesting music just because they're not shackled by a reverence for the past. They're not shackled by this idea of what hip hop or music has to be. And I think that translates a lot into the Chinese context as well. I think the best example of that is the Gosh Music crew out of Chongqing, where a lot of them are focused on putting in their local culture or very, very traditional Chinese culture into their lyrics and into the music. And that often reflects itself in the way their music turns out, where a lot of their most popular tracks have very little relation to either dancing or the club, or even like the idea of hype. So they can almost feel musically quite drudge, drudgery-like. But when you are listening to the lyrics, it's very, very deep into Chinese culture. And it's basically not really constrained by what hip hop sh 
should or should not be. That's at least my perspective. It's, again, that's another big thing that people are confronting in the US right now, which is like, don't make the same thing. You can't make the same thing that was getting made 30 years ago. You, you can't do it. Also, why would you want to? It's not going to be that interesting. And so a, a lot of what's happening in music right now on this side um, is that people are digging into their family experiences, their cultural background, and bringing in like instruments that maybe wouldn't have been in a hip hop song 20 years ago, um, and incorporating that into like the live musical aspect of making uh, a beat, right? Um, and so I think there's just a lot more cultural depth that's being um, exposed and, and just people feel more comfortable uh, going there uh, and not creating something that's formulaic. I think to that point, like everything that's sort of been mentioned, it's like, at what point do you think that you need to remember the past? And, and Or at this point in time, does it not matter how much credit you give to the past because it's sort of taken on its own form in China. I don't think it's important. I think it's interesting. It's like if someone, if that's part of someone's story, like, oh, I listened to this person growing up and that's why my music sounds like this or that's who I, that's who I'm trying to emulate in my life. I think that's interesting. That's like a, certainly from a human interest point standpoint that brings about a lot of things, but music does not, good music has nothing to do with that. You know, good music is is makes you feel a certain way um, and brings about a certain energy. And if that energy is apart from a long historical knowledge of a genre, then that the music can still be good. Um, it's, it's like it's almost like an academic versus like a you know, trade approach. Um, whereas like, yeah, the academic person might know everything there is to know about an artist or a genre and how it create, but the person who doesn't know that will still be making music that make people feel. Tell me what it's finna be. Tell me what it's finna be. She been waiting on me all night. Girl, you coming up with me. Tell me what it's finna be. Product placement in the sea. Pour her a glass to sip a bum. But she only swallowed me. On the beat, so you know a nigga about to kill it. Anybody put it on repeat, get here before I sleep. Kill a pussy, she like, please. I got side hoes in these streets. Nigga started rapping it east. Now I'm trying to count in that cheese. Money family come first. Nigga, I don't fuck with your verse. I wrote the shit on my worst. I'm still gonna make it work. Look, independent on my own since 13. Used to hop my true self. Now I got them fans that rival me. Mama never trusted that and never listened. Siblings ain't like me. Always making music, always drifting, listen, ain't nobody but me. Damn. DM popping, them hoes flocking. I done shut down hella cities with the higher bros, and I ain't stopping. Swear to God that I ain't stopping. Harry Carry on the keys. Bitch, I'm dope, it's like a key. Rap music in them gang movies, tell the nigga how to fucking speak. Ain't nobody here to teach. Ain't nobody here to teach. We the wave, we the wave. I ain't talking about no beach. I got girls at the shows. With me at it, wanna leave. With me at it, wanna leave. With me at it, wanna leave. 
leave it. Tell me what it's finna be. Tell me what it's finna be. She been waiting on me all night. Girl, you coming on with me. Tell me what it's finna be. Product placement in the sea. Pour her a glass to sip a bone. But she only swallow me. Ay. Tell me what it's finna be, baby. Tell me what it's finna be. I'm in China with the homies. For the girl, my doggy Tell me what it's finna be, baby. Tell me what it's finna be. What your body gang could be. Tell me what it's finna be, tell me what it's finna be She been waiting on me all night, girl you coming on with me Tell me what it's finna be, product placement in the sea Pour her a glass to sip a bone, but she only swallow me Ay. Tell me what it's finna be, baby, tell me what it's finna be I'm in China with the homies, for the girl my daughter A nuance of contemporary Chinese society's relationship to history is that they're almost kind of two parallel relationships of modern Chinese society to its history. One, you have the Cultural Revolution, where essentially everything that was seen as traditional or old was abolished and removed, and history started from a clean slate. And at the same time, you still have a deep reverence for the thousands of years of Chinese culture and all of the emperors and all of the history of the past. So you have this kind of tension between reverence for history and a, a historical approach. And I think you can kind of see that being translated into the music where People, on one hand, might not be particularly interested in uncovering what happened in the past or like what, what OG hip-hop was. And they're like always very, very willing to move to new ideas, adopt new musical ideas. But at the same time, a lot of these artists, they will have done their homework as well. They will know who... They will have like listened to old Gangstar records. They will know that. So... I think that relationship to history is almost indicative of something that is going on in Chinese society more generally. Based on the whole trip, what was your most memorable experience and or a person that you met? That sort of just kind of like either it legitimized the whole movement, it just stuck with you emotionally, um, I think I'm, I'm just interested to hear to hear your guys' perspective on that. Uh, I can think of one day. So, I mean, so that the show that culminated this kind of trip uh, for me was the, the Higher Brothers show in, in Chengdu with Bohan, right? And so, um, in particular, besides just how insane the energy was in that room, um, there was a particular moment when someone in the audience uh, like passed out or had too much, whatever it was, um, and Massway jumps into the crowd and pulls her from uh, from the crowd to like give her space and air. 
And I just thought that that was a really interesting, like a very deep connection that he had with the audience. In America, honestly, I don't think that would have happened. Um, I mean, maybe not every artist, right? But like a lot of the time, artists are just like, well, the security is here to take care of that. Um, but he kind of like stepped into that role and really took it upon himself. And that kind of showed how deep that community was uh, and how important and how, how valued um, the energy was in that room. Like, okay, we're having fun, but something more important than us having fun and performing just happened. Let's Let's make sure that this person's okay so we can continue to have that space and build that space. Um, so I just thought that was like a really a touching moment that like illuminated a lot more about how much people cared about what was happening. I think the most interesting memory for me was one of the artists we connected with, EYE in Chongqing. We were riding around midnight in his Subaru, just over all these massive gargantuan bridges in Chongqing. And you could really tell just by the way he spoke about it, how well he knew all these roads, that he was really, really a big part of the city. And the city was a big part of him. And the way he spoke about rap and music, he's making this music for the people around him, for the people in Chongqing, his family and friends, and he's been doing it for a long, long time without much recognition. And I think that showed to me that there was a real blueprint for sustainability in that. Insofar as this guy was basically just creating art for his community and not needing outside uh, credibility or acceptance. And I think when you have people like that in a scene, it will continue and it will continue to grow sustainably. So I think that was like the first point during the whole trip where I realized like, actually, yeah, this could conceivably just be something that goes on, not just for five years, but maybe 10, 15 years into another generation. That was really illuminating. I think I learned a lot more about sort of the lay of the land, what the future holds. If, if people want to kind of follow your guys' work, what would be the best place to connect with you? Instagram probably. <laughs> my uh, my handle's Mr. Farfetch, so it's M R and then the phrase Farfetched. Uh, that's where I post most like daily update type of things. We'll definitely make mention of that in the links and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I can just send you yeah. email or like website stuff too. I do a lot of mixes showcasing this kind of music, SoundCloud at Lumi L U M I, same handle for Mixcloud as well. So if you're interested on hearing what this music actually sounds like, yeah, check it out. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for your guys' time. Appreciate it.